either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Oscar nominations get the big headlines this week, and we're going to talk about those surprises, snubs, and all that. But though we've also got some new movies to check out, both in theaters and for streaming. So let's do that. Welcome to the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we'll start with a horror sci-fi mystery from Brandon Cronenberg. We've been looking forward to this one. James and M. Foster are enjoying an all-inclusive beach vacation in the fictional island of Latoka. When a fatal accident exposes the resort's perverse subculture of hedonistic tourism, reckless violence, and surreal horrors. This is Infinity Pool. This is just a little game. But I can take some blood. Show me how strong you are. It's really disgusting. You could just sit there. And watch it happen. You know, James, do you worry they got the wrong man? Yeah, Brandon Cronenberg, if you're not aware, antiviral a few years ago, and then more recently, Possessor, which was one of our favorite horror movies and all-around movies of, of I forget what year I think it came it was out. Two years ago. Okay, love that one. So we've been looking forward to this one. Yes, and it is. A, it's not an outright horror movie. Let's put it that way. It's definitely got the you know with the, with the last name of Cronenberg. Yes, mm-hmm. David Cronenberg's son. You immediately start thinking of body horror, and that is definitely part of this mm-hmm. for sure. There's some uncomfortable um, blood mm-hmm. and some uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, but there's more. There's sci-fi into this as yeah. Possessor was as mm-hmm. well, and really surreal type of uh, surreal type of adventure and for me it was also more than more than the other two this really seemed assembled from ideas from other movies you know yes and no here's what i think i think that um he i hate the word zeitgeist but that's kind of what this feels like this doesn't so much feel to me like he's borrowed these ideas from other films as much as this is what everyone is thinking about right now i would guess given the films that have come out recently well, okay, that is fair. Yeah, the theme of the rot, the moral decay of the ultra-rich, mm-hmm. that is very, very pervasive right now. I'm thinking of specific plot points because the the beginning of this movie, really the setup reminded me of a couple of very specific movies that I've seen in the last yeah, year, but year or so. this year. So I can't see how he borrowed from those because they came out this year. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not accusing him of outright stealing them, mm-hmm. but it just, it really, the setup as... Without giving away too much, this couple, as we mm-hmm. said, it's Alexander Skarsgård and Cleopatra Coleman. They're at this all-inclusive resort, and they are befriended at the resort by this other couple, Mia Goth and Jaleel Lespert. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of that time that we were in Key West, and we this couple it seemed like they were trying to befriend us. And it's just, you know when that happens? Don't do it. No. Run, you're on vacation, and all of a sudden this couple, uh, no. No. Because they take them off on this adventure. They leave the resort. That's the biggest thing. They leave the resort, and then there is trouble, and then there's an accident. And that's when it reminded me of this movie from just, was it last year? Mm-hmm. Called The Forgiven, mm-hmm. with uh, which was based on a novel uh, with uh, Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. And so then um, Alexander Skarsgård is in trouble with the locals, and let's leave it at that. And uh, a lot of weird things happen after that. And how much 
you know, is Mia Goth and her man involved? Was this a setup? What's going on? It gets very surrealistic. It gets very sci-fi. It gets it gets bloody, and uh, it it's certainly interesting. I think you liked it better than I did, though. I think for a while, to me, it got a little tedious. I think I did like it better than you did. I did not, I mean, like you, I did not like it as much as I liked Possessor because, well, Possessor was a great movie, but also because it was so wildly original. Mm-hmm. There was, you're not going to see anything borrowed in that film. Nothing feels yeah. like it's something you've seen before. I and, love Possessor. Oh my God, me too. And this, you're right, not just in, in the last few years, this, but but also um, some, of the, some of the weirder movies from the 80s. This reminded me a lot of the movie Society. Uh, and and I and, okay, yeah. but the thing is that this topic, this theme, it's my favorite theme. <laughs> so, um, and so uh, you know, I guess it it really did. Um, it, it, you know, I, I I was interested in where it was going the whole time. Also, I thought that the performances were great. Um, Alexander Skarsgård is good in most roles. I like him in this role where he's. He, so he's like the everyman, right? He's not the ultra rich. He married up, right? So he's. Just a regular guy. Yeah, he's a writer who's not that successful. Or talented. And, and then Mia Goth's character knows him and recognizes him and knows his book. So right away, that uh, gets her on his side, and he's more inclined to follow her. Mm-hmm. Now, was that a setup or not? We won't say. But it also reminded me of another movie um, recently from last year that we reviewed that I'm not going to mention because it would give away a plot point mm-hmm. that the trailer of this movie does not give away, so we don't want to. That's usually how we judge it. If the yes. trailer gives something yeah. away, then we'll talk about right. it. But there's a plot point that we don't... So I don't want to mention this other movie. But I do want to talk about Mia Goth. Yes. Because, because first of all... What a what a couple of years she is having, especially in the genre. Right, and she's always been good. I mean, I think we've seen probably everything she's been in. Every yeah, film but she's this ever has been, been in, a breakout she, year. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, she has such a, an unusual presence, and um, and she she kind of rides the whole arc here because when you first meet her, she's very glam. Yeah, you know, she's really she's but she's always weirdly seductive. But as the movie goes on, you know, she is such a menace, and she just keeps shrieking his mm-hmm. name. And oh, you just wanna, I know. <laughs> I just I love I love what she brings to a movie. The one scene when he's on the bus and she just keeps oh, shrieking yeah. his name. It's like. Stop it. <laughs> She's you're great. Right. She has had an incredible breakout year, like you said, especially in the in the horror genre. If you haven't seen uh, X and Pearl and then, oh, of yeah. course, the upcoming Maxine, oh, we, we yeah. cannot wait. Cannot wait. But, yeah, she is one of those. You're right. She has a look, an unusual look. She is more glam here. But no matter really what she's doing, you just you just can't keep your eyes off no, of her. No, you can't. She's fascinating. And, um, and she really, I think, leans into that. And, and again, I mean, her... She she usually it's not like she's the same person from beginning to end, but I mean you usually kind of have a sense of of who she is and but she really evolves mm-hmm. throughout the course of this movie, and she's really in a lot of ways she's the lead. I mean she's she's kind of the vehicle that she's what's pushing this movie forward, and I just thought that she was amazing. And I also thought that it was uh, there were a lot of set details that I really appreciated here that they don't really dwell on, but like. There's barbed wire around. If there's barbed wire around the resort you're staying in, don't stay there. Exactly, and and especially if you're there, don't leave. <laughs> no, but just don't go there. Yeah. But then the other thing that I really there are certain specific scenes 
that I loved so much in this movie. And in particular, there's one, and we won't give anything away, but when you see, if you watch it, a group of people being held in prison, all of them in white garments, that scene alone could be a short film that would win all of the awards. That scene, that segment of this movie, I loved so much that I guess I could probably forgive everything else. Yeah, especially when the expectations of everybody in the white garments aren't really met. How they think it's going to go inside there, it doesn't go, and then there's a twist thrown in. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah, that is very interesting. You're right. That could be a, a real basis for something else. So yeah. There's, there are some great ideas here. Don't no, get me wrong. And I also think, so, um, you know, being David Cronenberg's son and choosing not only to be a filmmaker, but to be a horror filmmaker and to be a weird head trip uh, body horror horror filmmaker yeah. I think it's, it's a fascinating choice to like so clearly follow in your father's footsteps when your father is in this this sort of subgenre the number one the goat mm. nobody else right. he's the goat and to, to just go nope, I'm gonna see what I can do that's very impressive to me but I also feel like in all three films maybe I'm reading into it he seems to be trying to kill himself and or his father and or an image of this sort of I love that which made me just think just now that, you know, David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future from just last year, did it seem like he was maybe trying to, hey, just remind everybody? No, because that went so far in on the body horror. I mean, he's always done that, but boy, that really doubled down. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like he was trying to reclaim, hey, young whippersnapper. Either that or, or you know, he's inspired by his son's his son's um, success to mm. really, because he had not made a, a, a horror film Cronenberg had not in a while. And I also felt like that movie, Crimes of the Future, was as as much of a Cronenberg movie as anything has ever oh, been, yes. to the point of being semi-autobiographical yeah. in sort of the, you know, the symbolic lead character and what he was going through. Um, so if this is like a, a rivalry between father and son, I'm all in. <laughs> I have to say I didn't like this one as much as Crimes of the Future either. But uh, it, it is interesting, and it has its it has its moments. But I think, yeah, it's pretty obvious you liked it better than I did. But uh, I would still recommend it, though, especially if you know what the name Cronenberg conjures up, and you're you're all in, mm -hmm. and you're ready for it. Check it out. And that is in theaters now called Infinity Pool. Next up is an Oscar-nominated drama. In 1950s London, a humorless civil servant decides to take time off work to experience life after receiving a grim diagnosis. It's Bill Nye in Living. If only to be alive for one day. But I realize it. I don't know how. Do you think we should alert the police, Bart? What would the police get if he's a couple of hours late for work? A couple of hours late for work. Who would ever have thought? This man, who until yesterday was living a shell of an existence. And I so very much do not wish to do so. Bill Nye's first Oscar nomination. Yeah. That's it, crazy. It is crazy because if you don't know his name, you certainly know his face. Oh, for sure. He's been out there for years. He's so he's such a treasure. And it, it seems sort of cosmically right because it doesn't seem like we should have waited or he should have waited this long for an Oscar nomination. But you would consider the the character that he's playing shouldn't have waited 
this long in his life to realize that he has to wake up and do something meaningful with his life either. Right. So for some reason, it kind of fits. Um, but this is a remake, an update of the Kurosawa classic from the ni- 1952, I believe, called Ikiru, or To Live. And th- this is an update that makes it set, as the synopsis said, in 1950s London. And this man, Mr. Williams, that uh, Bill Nighy plays, yeah, he's all about the work. He's just he's this buttoned-up civil servant, and all they do in his office, they push around papers that just go from one office and one desk to another until they land on one person's pile and just kind of sit there probably to, to die and just waste away, and they might get to this paper again or they might not. And they just do it day after day after day, and then he gets a grim diagnosis from his doctor and, and decides that he— you know, maybe he hasn't been really living all this time, and he starts to look at relationships. He's got a fractured relationship with his son and with his coworkers, and then he also starts to think about how to maybe leave a legacy, something small, and he settles on the fact of these local ladies who have been constantly trying to get a public playground approved by the public works office to be built in the area there. And, of course, they've run into this nonstop bureaucracy that he has been a part of for all these years, and he wants to suddenly push this through and make this maybe something that he could that could be a legacy for him. And it's just it's it's a wonderful, warm movie. And when you look at it, because after we watched this, we went ahead, we went back and watched the, uh, re-watched uh, the original. Mm-hmm. And they do make some definite changes. I mean, this is, uh, the director is Oliver Hermanus, and the writer who adapts the screenplay, who also got an Oscar nomination, mm-hmm. is a Nobel laureate, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro. And it just it does a fantastic job of, first of all, shaving about, what, 45 minutes right. off the runtime? Because the original is well over two hours. Yeah, it is. And then it, and the original is also very, as good as it is, it's very, it's, it's got that voiceover narration looking at the character. It's a very clinical, it's like a clinical yeah, is, yeah. study. Yeah. And so the, the lessons are still very, very worthwhile, but they're they're more arms reach. Yeah. And they're very very it's very clinical detached arms reach and they hit a little harder. This is this is softer. This is more human. It mm-hmm. is it is more sentimental, not overly so, but there's certainly more sentiment here and warmth and color. The fir- the original's in black and mm-hmm. white. This one is gorgeously shot. It really is. It's just fantastic, especially when you leave the confines of the office and he starts to live out, you know, in the in the world. It looks great. They're the the characters of the two youngest people in his office. There's a brand new employee and then a younger secretary. The they're both of their characters. The the arcs of them are punched up a little bit more, and I think for for good with good result in, in this film. And it's just it's a wonderful vehicle for Bill Nighy. He earns that Oscar nomination. He's just great. Every Every little sigh, every mm-hmm. little look of his face, it's just so honest and, and so human. And uh, it, it's, it's really sweet and gently funny as well, even though, of course, it's bittersweet because when he gets this diagnosis, that's sure. not going to end well. But uh, this lesson that he's, that he's out, out to learn late in life and what he wants to do with his time left is, is very sweet. So, yeah, I would very much recommend this movie and... It's just great to have him get recognized after all this time. Do I think he's going to win? No. No. But this is a fantastic, fantastic performance. And if we can get him more roles like this or more roles where he is front and center, because he's been he's been great support in so many Shaun movies. Shaun of the Dead. For Shaun of the Dead and, of course, Love Actually. You're right. He's the rock star. He's the star. best part of yeah. Love Actually. Easily <laughs> yeah. he's the best part of that movie. Yeah, and the Pirates of the Caribbean. Sure. 
He's always just a standout, and he is the he is the man in this movie. And it's a wonderful performance and a wonderful movie. And it is uh, called Living, and it's in theaters now. Next up is a movie we've been waiting to finally go to wide release, and it just got a Best Picture nomination. It's a drama, Do Nothing, Stay and Fight, or Leave. In 2010, the women of an isolated religious community grapple with reconciling a brutal reality with their faith. It's women talking. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We will be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and terrified. We have been preyed upon like animals. Maybe we should respond like animals. How would you feel if in your entire life it never mattered what you thought? We've liberated ourselves. We will have to ask ourselves who we are. Sarah Polly directed this. She she adapted the screenplay. Yeah. Uh, it's got, as you said, it's been nominated for Best Picture, nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. We love Sarah Polly as a filmmaker. We do. We She really made do. one of the best documentaries I've ever seen in my life, Stories We Tell. She and made away from her. That was her first. That was her first movie. feature, and then years and ago, then uh, take this waltz a couple yeah. of years ago, and then this, which is just a beautiful, incredibly smart, really forgiving, incredibly well cast film. Yeah, and it's, it was nice. I, I guess you'd call it a surprise nomination. Were you surprised to see it nominated? I think I was for best picture. I was. Yeah. I was. I was more optimistic about the screenplay, mm-hmm. but I was so thrilled to see it nominated for best picture. And to be honest, as we were standing here recording this, we were trying to remember: Have we talked about this movie on this <laughs> podcast before? We really can't remember, but because it's been so long, we've been waiting. We kept we were be, being told, "Oh, it's coming out this week," and then it wouldn't, and it got pushed back. And so finally, so if we did already talk about this. Apologies, but we're talking about it again because it just got an Oscar nomination. We do hope people see it Mm -hmm. because it is really the title says it is basically the whole movie is women talking. There's this group of women in this religious community and the men are away and they're using this time to talk about just like the synopsis says. Are they going to do nothing about these attacks that they know now have been occurring to them in their sleep? Uh, I don't want to give away too much. Um are they going to fight, or are they just going to leave the community? And that's what the film is. It's it's a debate between these women about the different sides of the argument. And in a way, I think it reminded both of us a little bit of, of uh, 12 Angry Men, mm-hmm. right? Because because eventually you sort of you sort of get past the anger and you get past the prejudices, and you just have to have a conversation and really think about. The best thing to do, and and people change their minds, and and I I don't think I've ever seen it done as beautifully as it is done here. That um, and some of the some of the statements that are made, you know, sometimes people mistake forgiveness with permission mm-hmm. was an important one that felt like a gut punch to me. And what's interesting here is this: this is based on true events, yeah, that happened in a religious community in Colombia, mm-hmm. I do believe. Uh, so it's based on true events, and you mentioned the ensemble. The cast is just fantastic. Rooney Mara, Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy, Frances McDormand in a small role, right. although, she, although she is a producer, but a small role. Uh, Sheila McCarthy and a, and, a, and a tremendously authentic ensemble mm-hmm. that you, we could have picked out 
any one of these for hopefully a, an Oscar nomination. Yeah. No, nobody got one, no. which is too bad. But at least the film did. Right. And Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy, to me in particular, I yeah, think that they I would were agree. amazing. I would agree. Amazing. And I also, I mean, I just loved the way the film worked itself out, worked out its own question and what they should do. And as I said uh, in the written review, I love that the film is very respectful of these human beings but more than anything, what impressed me was how respectful the film is of their faith. Yeah, that's a, that it, that's a good point. You know, the you know, I think in a lot of instances like that, and it's hard not to just come into it and going, you know, why this happens? It's because the religion that you follow, you know, promotes this or promotes that, and they're separating. The movie is separating religion from faith. Right. And I thought that I've not, I'm not sure I've ever seen it done as well. Yeah. And if you think just hearing women talk, because it is. If you think just hearing people talk is not compelling, it, it really is. This is a very dialogue-heavy movie. Yes, it is. But, man, it is, it's so compelling. And still, I think Sarah Pauly, as a director, makes it cinematic. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it really is. It's, a, it's an absolutely gorgeous film to watch. But the other thing that, that it is, because you know that there is a time limit, and yet these women refuse to force it. They, they want consensus, and they're going to keep it up yeah. until everybody comes to a consensus. But as a viewer, you know, you know, the, the men are coming home. Right. They're going to be home. You're like, right. figure it out, figure <laughs> it out, get out of there. Um, so it is. It's, it's quite tense. It's very compelling. And we should also mention Ben Wishaw is also... Uh, He's wonderful. He is a, a wonderful and a very interesting character as, mm-hmm. as a, the male in this group. Not only why he's there, but the the perspective that he maybe gives or maybe is asked to give or maybe things that he thinks about his perspective. Uh, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. He's a very interesting character in there as well. Uh, and well worth seeing, well worth that Oscar nomination, and it's in theaters now. Finally getting a wider release uh, called Women Talking. Let's go to Netflix next for comedy. It follows a new couple and their families who find themselves examining modern love and family dynamics amidst clashing cultures, societal expectations, and generational differences. It's you people. So you want to marry my daughter? Yes. Yes, I do. So do you hang out in the hood all the time or do you just come up here for our food and women? It's a valid question. It is. What's the difference between me and you? If Amir and I had a baby, it would be a very nice baby. Mixed-race people are really awesome. You know, you have like Mariah and Derek Jeter, and then of course you have the the GOAT. The GOAT? The greatest of all time. Yeah, I know what it means, but who are you referring to? Uh, Our guy, the legend, Malcolm X. What in the mother... What's the difference between me and you? You talk a good one, but you don't do what you're supposed to do. Boy, this is an uncomfortable movie. <laughs> you, tur- <laughs> you turned away a f- more than a few times. I did. Uh, yeah, definitely awkward, but funny in a lot of in a lot of uh, instances. And this is uh, it's co-written by Jonah Hill. Uh, he writes with Kenya Barris. Kenya Barris also is the director, and he is the main of of among other things he's done. He was the main driving force, I think, be- behind the TV show Blackish, okay. which was a big hit. Um, and uh, yeah, Jonah Hill also writes with him and stars. And he gets into a relationship with uh, the character played by Lauren London, an interracial relationship. And so it goes along, and they decide they're going to get married. So it's time to meet the family. Yes. And her family is dad, Eddie Murphy, and mm-hmm. mom, Nia Long, mm-hmm. and they're Muslim. And his family is, is mom, 
Julian Louis-Dreyfus and dad David Duchovny, and they are Jewish. So already you know, already most people will come to this thinking about their own lives and meeting their significant others' families. And come on, there's always there's always uh, opportunity there for some awkwardness, yes. right? Yes, oh my God, it, yes. Right? But then you throw these two competing cultures in there, and you can guess that it gets very awkward. But thanks to these performers, mm-hmm. it can be very funny and always is entertaining to watch because even in the weaker moments, I think everybody, especially Eddie Murphy and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, elevate the the uh, material even when it's weaker yeah no i think you're exactly right um and and it's lucky that that you know each wing of this family has such a strong comic talent and it's funny to say that because while julia louis dreyfus her sort of idiocy the way she behaves it is funny it generates a lot of laughs i think that eddie murphy in terms of the comedy drive here it's a different eddie murphy like he's not cracking wise he's not he's very serious in the whole movie and and and, and it's sort of the the atmosphere that he, through his character, creates that generates the the tension and laughs. But it's sure. a different character, and he was great. Yeah, he really was. Now on the other side, David, both David Duchovny and Nia Long, they're in the background a little bit. Yeah. They they're they're don't get as much to do, but they get their shots. They in, do, especially when David Duchovny likes <laughs> to try is trying to drop rappers' names oh and God. things like that and be hip. And you know, it, it, there's a lot of that in there. And yeah, I was laughing. Now it also went down, you know, road as far as the the comedy road that uh, is not one of my favorites, where it just seems like a lot of antics mm-hmm. strung together, mm-hmm. like the road movie always yeah. does. Well, let's take him out here. Let's take him out and have him play basketball now. Let's have him do this now. Go to and, a spa. Go, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, a lot little of... bit of that of these of these different antics that try to get organically connected and and aren't always, but. It's still, I, I would recommend it. Obviously, it's on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, well, then it's easy. Yeah. I was entertained by it. I yep. was, and I did laugh. And But if you're... If you don't like the cringy comedy, <laughs> right? Yeah. If, you, if you hate when you feel embarrassed for people, this is probably not the movie for you. Because it takes Meet the Parents and just goes up oh, like yeah. 50 notches. Exactly. Worth a look on Netflix called You People. And a horror film next, out in theaters, a much-needed getaway and a celebration weekend turns into a nightmare due to the contagious airborne threat. What? This is called fear. Believing what you fear will bring to the victim what they are afraid of. What you doing? I see how I'm gonna die. Let me out! 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 I was, you know, cautiously optimistic about this one because I do love a horror film, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just terrible. It's Not just good. terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just lazy and incompetently made. It's just terrible. And and the lead, Joseph Sakura, I hate to just be mean, but he's he's awful. Um yeah, he's awful and inexplicably the camera is never more than like 4 inches away from his face. His face just fills up the whole screen so often. I just kept going to myself why is the, who's making this choice cinematically? <laughs> it would be Dion Taylor, who's the co-writer and director here, and 
Yeah, the the airborne contagion, obviously, that's pretty uh, pretty prevalent um, right now. Not mm-hmm. exactly original. No, no, it's not just that either. I mean, that he it's um, a, a group of friends, not young people. Usually, this kind of a setup, you have like twenty somethings. These people are all well into their thirties, and they get together at an inn, a big old inn that just rents itself out. I guess during the pandemic to groups of people. So anyway, it's just a dumb idea, and they all sit outside on the first night around a campfire. People in their thirties, and somebody goes, "Let's just each say what is the thing that scares you the most." Well, that's lucky. What, what do you think is going to happen to every single person around this fire? You want to take a wild guess? But then even that they don't execute very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it borrows from, you know, about 100 movies, including obviously The Shining. It doesn't execute on any of them as well as the other movies that you've seen. Now, just elaborate that really quickly. You say, obviously, The Shining, because... Because it all takes place in, inside a big old lodge, you and go. you're saying to yourself, well, they keep saying, it's the lodge, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Is it the building? Is there something wrong with the building? Are you trapped inside the building? It's just not good. Not good. It's just not. Not good. And when we like good horror movies. This one is not one of those. It's in theaters now called Fear. Okay, how about a rom-com in theaters? We know how you love the rom-coms. <laughs> Michelle and Alan are in a relationship. They de- Michelle and Alan are in a relationship. They decide to invite their parents to finally meet about marriage. Turns out the parents already know one another well, which leads to some differing opinions about marriage. It's called Maybe I Do. It is so nice to finally meet Hello. you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Dad? He's outside? Huh? Sorry, I'm a little late. Hey. You can't kill me now. I got company. Guess what? What? I'm the company. That's my son, Alan, who's with your wife holding your daughter. Would anyone care for a drink? Yes! What about the day that we don't remember we gave each other the best parts of our lives? We did this to them? Mostly you. Are you in love with my wife? No! Damn it. Okay, this is a different take on meeting the parents. And here, much like um, you people, you've got a strong cast, but they can't do the same. They can't have the same success with the material. Why no? This one is actually worse than fear. Um, And partly because it is such a waste of such a cast. So it's Diane Keaton, William H. Macy, Richard Gere, and Susan Sarandon are the four parents. And... Wow, that's a cast. <laughs> I mean, that's an incredible and amazing cast. And the kids are Emma Roberts and Luke Bracey. And the the kids are at a wedding reception, and Michelle is one of the bridesmaids. And her boyfriend, who for the rest of the movie is played off as a super nice guy, he does something that, as you watch it, you're saying to yourself, why is she not actually matter about this? This should be the end of the relationship. Mm-hmm. He went out of his way to, through a little funny hijinks, humiliate her in front of everybody she knows and also break her heart. And yet the movie says, well, obviously the only thing that she can do right now is issue an ultimatum. Marry me or let's break up. No, ma'am, no, that's not your response. This is not a person you want to be married to. And to prove that point, well, then we spend some time with both of their parents, their sets of parents who right away, you know, where it's going, what the hijinks are going to be about. And, and you know, the thing is that all four of them 
the veteran actors, they do really come off well. They do a good job with this material, but the material is so convoluted and contrived and it's just borderline offensive because, first of all, it's so... Just embrace the traditional. It's so traditional, even though these adult married couples have proven, nope, that's a bad choice to make. Well, see, that's the thing. In many rom-coms, we do know where it's going. The mm-hmm. trick is how well does it get there? That's that's the problem with this and writer-director Michael Jacobs. Uh, because, yeah, a lot of times you can guess what's going to happen in a rom-com. We all know that. But it, what's the journey as on the way there? So here's the journey, is that really, really wealthy, 60-something white men feel bad for themselves. And we should also feel bad for them, even if they're screwing around on their wives. Because as long as their little girl who always wanted to be a ballerina winds up marrying the guy who humiliated her in public, then all is fine. <laughs> I did not like this movie. What? And that one is uh, in theaters now. No, not a recommendation for maybe I do. For language film next, a drama thriller about a French diplomat trying to escape an FSB plot in Siberia called Compromise. <laughs> Tori Haynes reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com, and I think that she is surprised she made it out alive. It's a tense, <laughs> tense. movie. Tense. It is, it's relentless and tense, and it's about a man who is being blackmailed. Yeah. Uh, and you just, it's brutal, it never lets up, and um, at the end, by the and it's it's well made. Obviously, it's very tense, and that's what it's trying to be. It is trying to keep you on the edge of your seats, keep you clenching your teeth, and it does do that. And the performances are great. Well, you know, it's one of those. We should say it's co-written and directed by Jerome Sally, and it's one of those that you know gets to me like false imprisonment. You yes. know, like the guy is just taken out of his life. Mm-hmm. When what what did I do? Mm-hmm. And they're just everyone's convinced. He's guilty, and then he has to, ju- and they pretty much know he's he's not going to get a fair trial, mm-hmm. so he's just got to go. And so it's tense for me right from the trailer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the, I think, you know, the problem that Tori had with it is that it by the end of this bleak and miserable, incredibly tense 90 minutes, you're like, what? why did I put myself through that? You know what I mean? There's <laughs> yeah, no... yeah. Not a big enough payoff. Yes. For, yeah, yeah. yeah. To to actually make it satisfying that you that you did put yourself through that. Yeah, but check out Tori's uh, full review. It's at madwolf.com, and it's in theaters now called Compromot. And finally, a documentary, a revelation of the inner lives of young LDS missionaries as they leave their homes for the first time and embark upon the most emotionally, physically, and psychologically challenging period of their life, the mission. I will be apart from my family for 18 months, preaching the gospel nonstop. Do you feel like your life as a teenager is being limited? I think it's completely normal to feel mad at God. I do miss my family a lot. I wish sometime we could just have like a regular conversation. Christy Robb reviewed this documentary for us. And, you know, it's a fascinating idea. It's for young people from Finland. Yeah. Who belong to the Church of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. And, of course, all all members of that church, as far as I know, have to embark on a mission at some point. And theirs, they have to come to the U.S. to do it. 
So they have they also each of the four of them has an American interpreter who is never away from them at all unless, quote, they're doing bathroom things. Right. <laughs> so they're never alone. They're always with somebody they don't really know. They're in a foreign country. Um, they can barely speak the language. And they're they're on this this mission and they're very young. They're not really even adults. Um, and the problem, I mean, that seems to me to be a very ripe uh, environment for a documentary, same, but it's same. incredibly superficial. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't dig into really much of anything, including the fact that that they it was during the pandemic right. that they were traveling. And that's just one of the aspects that Rachel thought was left un. And that's just one of the aspects that Crystal Christ. And that's just one of the aspects that Christie thought was left unexplored. Because if you're watching a documentary and questions arise, natural questions, organic questions, and they're not answered by the documentary, you know, you're not dealing with questions that that come up naturally. That's that's a weakness. Yeah, it definitely is. As a documentarian, yeah, it's something that you ought to be thinking ahead about. So. You know, yeah, it just it's an interesting concept. It's just not well executed. Yeah, I agree. It's a very interesting um, it's a very interesting premise for yeah. a documentary, because, as we said before, documentaries, they take you to worlds that you don't know about and right. teach you about them. There's Here, one. Yeah, there you go. But uh, so it's disappointing in that regard. And you can check out the Christie's full review at madwolf.com. That is on VOD now called The Mission. All right. Before we head to the lobby well, for some birthday cake. Uh, let's check. <laughs> talk about the Oscars. Oscar nominations came out this past week, and I think this year we have a, a few more nits to pick than over the last few. I think the last few have been relatively yeah, pretty close. Yeah, yeah pretty not close. too bad. But there were some big shockers. I think top of it, we both thought Danielle Deadweiler was a lock to get a, nom- a best actress nomination. Well deserved. Oh yes, best absolutely. Actress nomination for Till. She was left off. We also were. St- we were sad to see nothing about Nope, nothing about The Woman King, uh, no international no- nomination for Decision to Leave, yes. no documentary nomination for Moon, Moon Age, Age Daydream, Daydream. Yeah. Um, no score nomination for uh, Pinocchio. Pinocchio, that's just one. So there were a bunch, really, a and big ones. Yeah, uh, not big, only that. Big, big uh, snubs, I thought. Yes, and there were some, there were some questionable... Uh, honorees you know yeah triangle of sadness i think i've said before it was one of our biggest disappointments of the year uh to see that because i love that filmmaker and Mm -hmm. to see him this is the one that breaks through i was sad about that well and for me avatar you know and and i'll give you that if if it was gonna get and it should have gotten a bunch of technical nominations yes but best picture no 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 especially not when the woman king didn't get one or nope or nope yeah because, because the storytelling just wasn't there i agree with you on the technical aspects yeah all day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I told you, <laughs> I don't think you really were fighting me on it, but I, I knew Top Gun Maverick was going to get it. Yeah. Um, which, okay. All right. I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I still would have put a bunch of other movies in there mm-hmm. before that got nominated. But, okay, I'll give you that. I also was, I was glad to see Bardo get a cinematography nomination. Because yes. I, that movie just totally got forgotten about. Storytelling-wise, it had some... It had some problems, but my God, did that movie look amazing. It really did. It really did. It looked gorgeous. I would have loved to see Nope Agreed. get a cinematography award. Agreed. Because we were talking about this at lunch. The whole point of it, right, was getting that shot, getting that shot. Well, if that's the theme of your movie, you better have a movie that looks good. And Nope looks insane. It's it's and, glorious. And how about an original screenplay <gasps> for Nope? Yes. I mean, come on. 
if you're if you're going to include these blockbusters and and here's the other thing i'm afraid it kind of goes back to that conversation we had about avatar when it first came out when it first came out about people going to the theater to see avatar which they clearly are which okay on one hand I'm, i'm glad about but on the other hand is that one step toward this is all we're going to go right see just spectacles and then it makes me think are are we nominating these types of movies with the ratings of the Oscar telecast in mind. Right. Please say no. I know. Please. Because that's, that's just not the point. It's just not the point. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's, I'm sure that there are films out there where, you know, there are no performances or there are no, you know what I mean? If you have a movie and it cannot generate any nominations for acting or for writing, I don't see how it can be a best picture contender. How can a movie be one of the very best movies of the year if those massive components aren't that yeah. good? Well, and that's going to be more prevalent now that you have 10 best picture nominees and still just five screenplay or acting or what have you. But don't get us wrong. We realize this has is not a meritocracy. It never has been. We totally no. get that. We're not naive to that. But still, since we live and breathe this yeah. every day of our lives, and there are the we're, we're very clearly passionate about it, and like to see these other movies get the due for their art and for their storytelling, and um, it's yeah, it's it's just disappointing when there's there are other ones that so much more deserve the attention yep. and deserve the the accolades. Yep. But because uh, I I do agree, give Avatar all the technical. It looked. Amazing. It did. it did. And I said at the time yep. that I thought that alone made it worth seeing. Um, storytelling, no. So that was disappointing. But we were happy to see, like, I was thrilled that Women Talking got yes. a Best Picture nomination. Yep. Agreed. Um, I could have done without all of the Elvis love. Am I, I the only one? Am I the only one? <laughs> well, I did, I did like it better than you did. Um, I wouldn't have nominated for Best Picture, no. Uh, but I did, I did recommend it, and I did like his performance. But there were much bigger... I think there are much bigger snubs, at least mm-hmm. on my scorecard. Oh yeah, than for that. sure. But uh, I still can't believe I was just floored by Danielle Deadwater. Yeah, I uh, so saddened by that. Yeah. So because I don't think that that movie got enough, nearly enough attention when it came out. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times you think to yourself, like even then, I'm like thinking to myself, well, that's fine because she'll get an Oscar nomination and then it'll hit theaters again and then people will go see it. And that didn't happen. And so I'm afraid it won't. And if you've been paying attention, that's not to take anything away from Andrea Riceboro, no. who got that. Very surprising nomination for To Leslie. I mean, nothing is her fault. She was great in that she movie. She was. She was great. And it was a good movie. It, it you is know, a good and movie. nobody saw it. And one of the things I'm happy about is that now people will because she wasn't the only one who was great, right? Mark Maron oh, is great in that movie. He really is. He's so good. And Allison Janney, of who course, because she of always course, is. Yes. But uh, yeah, Mark Maron really surprised yeah. me. He's fantastic in that movie. Yeah. The one who shouldn't have been nominated is Ana de Armas. And yeah. she's the best thing about that movie, absolutely. And she's quite good in it, but she's not Oscar blonde. worthy. Yeah. She's not blonde. She's not. No, she, and, you're right. She is the best thing about the movie. The movie's heinous. Um, yes, it is. But uh, she is the best thing, but not, not Oscar worthy. No, I mean, she's no Danielle Deadweiler, that's for sure. It was tremendous performance, and I'm sorry it got snubbed there. But on a positive note, 16 of the 20 Oscar nominees for acting are newcomers. They've never been nominated before, including Brendan Gleeson, who should have already won some. Okay, very nice. Congratulations to all the nominees, and we'll find yep. out March 12th for the Academy Awards. All right, how about that cake? Let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Checking back into the lobby where Daniel Baldwin has the party hat on today as the birthday schlocketeer. What you got uh, What you got planned for the birthday? Anything good today? Well, uh, my son's birthday is next week, so he's having a slumber party tonight. So I get to have a bunch of preteen boys in my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can just, I can smell the smells from here. <laughs> Enjoy that. Okay, what do you hear from the studios this week? Well, anyone who wants to catch up on... Um, Best Picture nominees, uh, Tar, is now available to stream on Peacock. Yay. And if you're hankering for some exploitation instead, uh, Megan is now available on VOD, and (laughs) Gerard Butler's Plane will be available on VOD starting next Friday. Okay. And Skinamarink, the latest indie horror hit at the box office, hit Shudder on February 2nd. Oh, nice. That is, it's yeah. so interesting. I don't know if I've, I've come across one as, as polarizing as that in a while, because some people, you probably had the same. Some people say it's the scariest thing they've ever seen. Other people say it's the most boring thing they've ever seen. And for me, it's just going, cutting right down the middle. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but that does seem to be the case. Like, it's, it's one or the other. No one, barely anyone thinks it's just okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was great, but you're just as likely to run into people that hate it as, as not so. But I'm glad it's coming to Shutter, though. Yep. Uh, February 3rd sees the U.S. streaming debut on Screambox of a 2003 Bollywood remake of Scream titled Shh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's two hours and 43 minutes long, and yes, it does have musical numbers, but um, apparently instead of the killer being called Ghostface, his name is Joker. He still wears the black cloak, but he has a clown mask instead. And the interesting thing is, due to the length of the movie, um, Whoever made this must have really been into slasher movies in 96, 97, because apparently the first half of the film is a loose remake of Scream. The back half of the movie functions as a sequel to that and as a loose remake of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Okay. Weird combo. Green box on February 3rd. Okay. Uh, March 3rd sees the limited theatrical release of Kurt Wimmer's Children of the Corn reboot. I know you're hankering for another one of those. Oh, Malachi. <laughs> And uh, if it's not playing in your area on March 3rd and you still want to see it, it will be hitting VOD on March 21st and then Shudder later in the spring. Warner Brothers Animation is releasing a Lovecraftian horror-themed animated Batman movie called The Doom That Came to Gotham on VOD on March 28th. Little changing it up there a little bit. Uh Amazon has set an April 5th release for Air, which is the latest directorial effort from Ben Affleck. Um, He co-stars in it with Matt Damon. They wrote it together. And it centers around Nike cutting the you know major licensing deal with Michael Jordan to launch the Air Jordan brand ah, back in the yeah. Interesting. Well, you know what? I have I have definitely been impressed by him as a director. I have been. I have too. Uh, I thought Live by Night was a little bit off, but yep. you know, still better than most movies. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Um, Open Road has set a May 26th theatrical release for the Gerard Butler action thriller Kandahar. So. If Plane Got You Going and you're ready for some more, you're not going to have to wait for very long. And Rob Savage has a film adaptation of Stephen King's story, The Boogeyman, which hits theaters on June 2nd. And it had previously been earmarked for Hulu, but like Smile and Barbarian last year, I guess it tested so well that they're taking it fully wide in theaters. Okay. And then I've got a couple project announcements for you. For better or worse, after all these years, we are getting a Tron 3 it will star Jared Leto, and it goes into production later this year, so I imagine it'll come out late next year or early 2025. Mm-hmm. Violent Night 2 has been announced, as has Megan 2.0, so a lot of uh, carnage on the way on that front. 
And the last little thing I wanted to mention is, of course, next week, see, the big release is M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin right. that Universal's putting out. For whatever reason, uh, the marketing has not named the author or the book that it's based on. So that's based on Paul Tremblay's The Cabin at the End of the World. It's a bestseller horror novel. Not sure why they're not pushing that, but if anyone is curious, that's what it is. It's an adaptation of Paul Tremblay's The Cabin at the End of the World. All right, thanks as always, and you can catch up with uh, Schlocketeer on the socials at the Schlocketeer. It's Daniel Baldwin, the birthday boy. Enjoy! I will. Thank you. Okay, looking ahead to next week, we've got the latest from M. Knight. He's been he's been up and down. But he's, he's always been, up and he's down. He's trending up, I think, right now. <laughs> Is he trending up? Uh, maybe, uh, but old was bad. So. Uh, yeah, old. Anyway, his latest, Knock at the Cabin, comes out next week. Also, one I don't want to have to go see tomorrow, 80 for Brady. <laughs> When's the Joe Montana movie coming out? <laughs> uh, one called Remember This? Blood. Baby Ruby. I know. Uh, We won't like it as much as our own baby Ruby. Our niece Ruby. Um, Aaron's Guide to Kissing Girls. She is love. Little Dixie. And Stettler's. Stettler's. Okay. That's next week, but what about this week? Are you digging? Are you diving into the infinity pool or maybe living or or, uh, women talking? You're like us. You probably are. Are you like us? You're glad that's finally getting a wide release or at Netflix with you people? Let us know. We keep the conversation going about the movies or about the Oscars, too. If you that's disagree right. with us about Avatar, whatever. Uh, or you to, don't. Or you don't. <laughs> we love to talk that <laughs> as well. Uh, you can always find us on Twitter. That's easy. At Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and also our other horror movie-only podcast uh, with a brand new episode. This week we're talking about... Hotels. Hotels in horror. Yeah. You can find that all on our main website at madwolf.com. All right. So uh, enjoy the movies. Enjoy the award show discussion. And until next week, we'll hope you uh, we'll hope you keep in touch. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>